0: Well, um, I want to just thank you so much for uh, all those kind words that all the people shared and was such a blessing for Tegan and I and the church here, you have been such a blessing to us. Uh, My five children have grown up here in the church and we have been blessed, so blessed by you. Um, It's been a great place for us to thrive in ministry and so we just want to thank you so much for that. Well, what do you preach on in your final sermon? Jesus is a good answer. Um, but uh, why don't you turn your Bibles to Matthew 28? And I was thinking, you know, my final words, wouldn't it be great to have the final words of Jesus ringing in your ears? Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. And uh, this is obviously known as the Great Commission Jesus' final words to his disciples. And, uh, you know, the Great Commission, it's not a, those words don't actually appear in the text, there are actually some. We, we actually have added those words to describe these final words of Jesus. And so, this morning I want to just look at this simple question, what makes the Great Commission so great? I mean, there are many missions that you can pursue in your life, many things that you can go after, but why make the Great Commission the one mission? The one thing that you're about in your life. Why? Why? Why make that? What makes the Great Commission so great? Well, look down your Bibles in verse 16. We read this. Now, the 11 disciples, obviously, you know, at, by this point, Judas has betrayed Jesus. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, earlier in the chapter, you'll see that Jesus has been resurrected and he appears to the women by the tomb, and Jesus ends by saying to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And so, obviously, Jesus told the women a specific location, a specific mountain on which they were to meet Jesus. Now, it's interesting, all the way throughout um, uh, Matthew's gospel, you see that significant things happen on mountains. Probably because mountains are these places where God and people meet. For example, in Matthew chapter 4, it was on a mountain, the devil took Jesus to a high place, to a mountain, and showed Him the kingdoms of this world and tempted Him with the kingdoms of this world. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus went up on a mountain and He started teaching His disciples, blessed are are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or later in Matthew's gospel, we see that Jesus tells His disciples to go to the other side of the lake and it says that Jesus went up on the mountain. To pray. And right here, as Matthew climaxes his gospel, Jesus draws his eleven disciples to him on a mountain. You know, this mirrors what happened in the Old Testament, where God came down on the mountain on Mount Sinai in fire and lightning, and He gave to His people the Ten Commandments. It's a similar sort of thing. And notice what happens in verse 17, and when they saw Him, the resurrected Jesus, They worshipped Him. They fell down before Him and worshipped Him. Just as the women had fallen down before Jesus and worshipped Him, the eleven disciples fall down and worship Him. But then we have this interesting statement right at the end of the verse. Notice it says, but some doubted. That's really strange to add that detail into the text, isn't it? So they fall down and worship the resurrected Messiah, the resurrected Jesus, but it says, some doubted. Now, some commentators have suggested that what this is about, is that what this is about is that, uh, you know, some couldn't believe what they were seeing, that this was Jesus come back from the dead. Uh, Another commentator that I read this week said that that word doubted can also mean hesitated, they hesitated. See, all the way through uh, through Matthew's Gospel, there is this theme of the disciples being of little faith. For example, on this one occasion, Jesus came walking to His disciples on the water and Peter said, Jesus, can I come out to you? And Jesus beckoned him and so Peter came out walking on the water and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was kept up but as soon as he saw the wind and the waves, he started falling beneath the waters And, uh, and he cried out, Jesus, save me and Jesus picked him up and then Jesus said, Peter, you of little faith, Why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate? Why did you shrink back? So they worshipped, but some of them were shrinking back. And so Jesus speaks to them, look down in verse 18, and Jesus came and He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, that's a pretty encompassing statement, isn't it? All authority, how much authority? All, all authority, all authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, in the Gospels, you will find two words that are used to describe the actions of Jesus. The Greek word dunamis, which means power, and the Greek word exousia, which means authority. Now, the Greek word power, dunamis, it speaks about Jesus' capacity or ability to do something. He had the power to raise the, the, the sick up, He had the power to command the winds and the waves. But the word exousia, the word authority, is a little bit different to the word dunamis, which means power. The word exousia or authority talks about your position, that you have this exalted position and because of your position, things obey you. And all throughout the Gospels, we do see Jesus' authority being displayed. Jesus had authority over evil spirits. Jesus had authority over natural forces. Jesus taught and spoke as one who possessed authority. And right here at the end of the gospel, Jesus says, all authority, all exousia. I am in this position that has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, when the Jews heard the word heaven, they thought of something different than what we think of. We often think when we, when we hear the word heaven, we think of like the sky above or we think of the galaxies and the stars. But when Jesus uses the word heaven here in Matthew's Gospel, He's speaking about the realm in which God exists. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, He talks about the Kingdom of Heaven rather than the Kingdom of God. And so Jesus now, as the resurrected Messiah, as the resurrected Lord, He now is exalted to this position where He has all authority in heaven, in the realm where God dwells, and all authority on earth, where we dwell. In fact, Jesus would be the one who bridges heaven and earth, who brings heaven's authority down to earth. You remember in um, His prayer, you know, what's often called the Lord's Prayer but should probably actually be called the Disciples Prayer because Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, He says, you must pray that God's will would be done in heaven as it is on earth. You see, Jesus as the Messiah, what He came to do was defeat sin, death and the devil so that He would bring heaven's authority, He'd bring God's kingdom from heaven to earth. And he is now saying, he's now making this claim, he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, when they heard those words, has been given to me, it was like a hyperlink that went right back to the Old Testament, went back to this passage in the Old Testament in uh, Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this vision where he sees the Ancient of Days, which is God Almighty. God is the one who is you know, eternal, he sees the ancient of days giving to one like the Son of Man, that's the word that's used, the Son of Man, giving to one like the Son of Man dominion and a kingdom and authority so that every person, every nation will come and will worship Him. You know, one of the most common phrases used in the Gospels to describe Jesus is they call Him the Son of Man, that's a messianic title from Daniel 7, that Jesus is the exalted one, who has been given by God the Father power and dominion and authority so that all nations will worship Him. You see, why is the Great Commission so great? The first reason why the Great Commission is so great is because of the One who is giving us this commission. It is none other than the resurrected Lord, the One who Paul will say in Philippians 2, there is coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day, we don't see it now, but where everyone, everyone will bow down before Jesus and say, You are Lord, You are King, You are the authority. You know, oftentimes as evangelicals, we like to talk about Jesus as my personal Lord and Saviour. Have you heard that expression before? Jesus is my personal Lord and Saviour. Now, I I don't mind that expression, I know what you mean by that, but Jesus isn't just your personal Lord and Saviour, because He has been exalted by the Father, He is the resurrected Messiah who reigns over heaven and on earth, who's bringing heaven's authority to earth. He is the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth. He is the King, He is the Lord. Therefore, the one who gives us the commission, that's why it's so great, is because of the one who gives us the commission, He is the King, He is the Lord. Look down in verse 19, Jesus says, go therefore, go therefore. You know, the word therefore is a word that summarizes everything that's gone before and says on the basis of everything that's gone before, here's what you are to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You know, um, sometimes when it comes to missions and when it comes to evangelism and when it comes to planting churches, sometimes we try to, as pastors and teachers, we try to motivate people to evangelism and missions and planting churches out of fear, saying to people, you know, we better go out and share the gospel. We better start planting churches because if we don't, You know, Christianity might vanish from Australia. We don't get out and share and start sharing the gospel and rise up, Christianity might vanish from Australia as if Jesus doesn't possess authority and power. But that's the complete opposite reason why we should go out and go into all nations. We shouldn't go out because He doesn't have authority, we should go out because He does have authority. He has all authority in heaven and earth, Therefore, because He has all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, go and make disciples. Now, as soon as the people there heard Jesus say, make disciples, they knew what Jesus was saying. You see, Jesus wasn't the only one who had disciples in the first century. There were many travelling rabbis who would draw disciples to themselves. Typically, it was only the top of the top. The very very top people who got asked to be a disciple of a traveling rabbi. And when when you became a disciple of a particular rabbi, you then left everything to follow that rabbi, you would learn from your rabbi, you would seek to imitate your rabbi, you would be publicly devoted to your rabbi, they would be your rabbi, and you would be their disciple. And so they understood what this call was about, this call to make disciples. You know, Peter, James and John, they were by, you know, mending their nets one day by the Sea of Galilee when Jesus came walking by and He said, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what does it say? It says they left their nets right where they were and they followed Jesus. You see, the call for them to become a disciple of Jesus was a call to complete commitment. It was a call to complete allegiance. They left everything that they had and they followed Jesus still today, the call to be a disciple of Jesus is a call to complete commitment. It's a call to allegiance to Jesus. You know, we're coming very close to Christmas and at Christmas time, if you haven't like bought a gift, what do you get someone? If you haven't bought them a gift, what do you go to Woolworths and get them? You give them a gift card, right? You know, you get someone a gift card, uh, you know, and uh, you know, a gift card is different from giving someone your key card, and your PIN number. If you give someone a gift card, usually a gift card has a limit on it of how much you can spend. So if you give someone like an Uber Eats gift card, they can spend up to $50. If it's got a limit of $50, they can spend up to $50. But if you give someone your key card and you give them your PIN, that's something completely different. You're entrusting them with everything that you have, and they can take out as much as they like and spend your money as much as they like. You know, the call to be a disciple of Jesus is not a gift card sort of deal, where you say, Jesus, I give you my life and you can spend this much of my life. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is like giving Jesus your key card and your pin number and you say to Jesus, I'm all in. You spend my life however you want. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, the way of Jesus is cross-shaped, is cross-shaped. As we follow Jesus, we will be called to give up our dreams, our ambitions, what we want. We'll be called into the way of the cross, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. You know, for me today, this is exactly what I'm doing. I had big dreams for City Reach, I had big ambitions for what what this church and this movement could become, but Jesus is calling me to die to that, to take up my cross and to follow Him, to follow Him. But the good thing is, on the other side of crucifixion is what? are you Christians in this building today? (laughs) What's on the other side of crucifixion? Resurrection! Resurrection! We know that when we take up our cross and follow Jesus and die to ourselves, in some way, God will bring about a resurrection, He'll bring new life into that situation, He'll bring His power into that situation, we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so, you see, You see, the Great Commission is great because of who is calling us to that mission. The Great Commission is great because of what He's calling us to do. He's calling us to make disciples. But the Great Commission is also great because of what it involves. You know, in churches, there is often this debate raging between whether we should focus on breadth or whether we should focus on depth. You know, in the mission of the church, should we focus on just making deep disciples of Jesus who go deep into the Word of God and and really teach, teach, teach God's Word? Or should we make the focus of our ministry just trying to get the gospel out as far and wide as we possibly can? What should we focus on? You see, what the Great Commission shows us is that those churches that just focus on depth exclusively are not being faithful to the Great Commission, Because Jesus says, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, all ethnos, all people groups. And so our vision as a church has to be as wide as Jesus' vision. Jesus wants the gospel to go out to every nation. Jesus, as the resurrected Lord, is worthy of the worship of all people in all nations. You know, this is where my heart came from for church planting, because I didn't just want our church to be about us in this room, but I wanted it to be about reaching this city for Christ. I was talking to a particular pastor of a very, very, uh, you know, successful church planting movement in our city. And by all measures, this church planting movement has been successful, has seen, you know, has planted many more churches than City Reach planted And I asked him, how many people are you reaching? And he told me, in total, they're reaching around 3,000 people in their church planting efforts. And that's the most successful church planting movement in our city that I know of. And I thought to myself, 3,000 people, that's a drop in the bucket of a city of 1.3 million people. Jesus is worthy of the worship of every heart of every person in our city. You know, God is calling every Christian and every church to have a vision as wide as His vision for the nations. You know, we mightn't be able to contribute in big ways but we can all contribute in some way to Jesus' global mission. But also, churches that just focus exclusively on breadth and don't focus on depth are also not being faithful to the Great Commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is that ordinance that shows that someone is united to Jesus. And then he says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Do you know, this is why over the past 12 years, I've tried to teach you the Bible. This is why I've tried to go into the Bible, in depth in the Bible, because, because i wanted you not just to be... A Christian who is wide, but a Christian who is deep, who is that mature in Christ, who knows Christ and loves Christ and wants to serve Christ. And so the Great Commission is great, not only because of who is making the commission and not only because of what we are to do, make disciples, and not because of what the commission involves. It involves going into all the world and then teaching disciples to observe all that he's commanded. But final, the final reason why the Great Commission is so great is because it is a co-mission. It's a co-mission. Notice that Jesus says right at the end in verse 20, He says, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, Jesus just didn't leave these disciples alone, but He sent forth the Spirit of God to indwell their hearts. So as we go out on mission, we go empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is what gives me great confidence for this church moving forward after I leave, is that this church was never really about me, it was all about Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church and He's going to build this church. He's going to build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you see, Jesus has sent forth His Spirit and He is the one who actually grows the church and empowers the church and builds the church through us. You know, if you really got to know me, I'm not all that much. I'm not all that great. In fact, I was thinking of preaching a sermon today called, You Must Think I Really Love Jesus. (laughs) I was thinking of doing this. Would you just do this for me one last time? Can we we do this? This is my last sermon here, come on. Will you do this for me? So I want you to say this. I want you to say this as a church together. G, you must really love Jesus. Ready? Let's do it. Gee, you must really love Jesus. All right, now I'm going to say something and then I want you to respond, all right? Here we, here we go. I grew up in a Christian family. Gee, you must really love Jesus. I've been to Bible college. Gee, you must really love Jesus. For the last 12 years, I've gone twice to church on Sunday. You heard some people say some nice things about me. Jesus Jesus. I've preached the gospel to you for the last 12 years. Jesus Jesus. Now, that's not, your, your, like enthusiasm is waning, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, you would think, you would think, man, after all those nice things that were said about me, you would think, man, gee, Timon, you must really love Jesus. But if, if there was to go on the screen this morning, all the things that I've done over the last 12 years and all the things that I've thought in the last week was on the opposite side of the screen, you would say, there is no way that that guy loves Jesus, there's no way that that guy loves Jesus. But here's the message of the Gospel, it's not about how much I love Jesus, but it's the fact that He loves me. It's the fact that He loves me. That's the foundation of it all. It's not that we loved Him, but that He first loved us. And so we go out on mission, presenting that message. We're not much, but He is everything. He is everything, and because He's everything, I have absolute confidence that God is going to build this church way after I leave, I couldn't be more thrilled with Pastor Graham coming and taking over my role. I love Pastor Graham and it's just been so awesome to see over the last couple of weeks, God lift him up like he did when I first came and God's going to use him and even his South African accent, (laughs) God's going to use him for his glory and his purpose And I'm going to be cheering you on, Pastor Graham, and I'm going to be cheering you on, City Reach, and I'm going to be cheering on the City Reach family of churches. I can't wait to see what God is going to do with you because He's going to be with you, he said, even to the end of the age. might feel right now in the culture and everything that's happening like God's abandoned us. He has not abandoned His church. What for one second? He is working. He is working through His church. He will grow His church. All we need to be is we just need to put up our sails, and catch the wind of the Spirit, say, God, use me, God, use me, use me, Lord. I'm not much, but you love me, will you use me? And he'll use us. Let's stand together, let's pray. Oh, Father, it's been such a privilege to be uh, in ministry here at City Reach Oakton, and... uh, It's been such a privilege of my life to be an elder and a pastor and to occupy this office for your glory, Lord. You called us here 12 years ago and you have done all the work. You've been faithful and you have done it, Lord. And I thank you for this great commission, this great mission that you've called your church into. You call us into relationship with yourself so that we know you and we are loved by you. And the overflow of that, the overflow of your love and your grace in our lives is that we want to give our lives to you. We want to serve you, Lord. We want to follow you, Lord, through all the different seasons in our lives. Lord, we worship you. I pray your hand of blessing upon this church. I pray for the elders of the church. Thank you for the new elders that you've raised up recently. Thank you for the past elders, some of whom are here today. Lord, I thank you, Father, for all your blessings in our lives. Lord, this is a great time to give glory and honor to you, Lord God. Lord, because you have done amazing things and we just worship you and honor you, Lord God, for the greatness and glory of your great name. I praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.